0: To the NFL, hello, and welcome to another episode of the DWZ, the Dynasty War Zone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas. We need to you welcome Twitter, to the NFL. Salad, that is Dallas spelled backwards, two L's. Lore, we are continuing the ever so fun little segment that we have going on this summer of the 2020 year by going over some more first year forecasting, and this week we will be discussing the NFC West division. It's a little bit sketchy with the rookies, but the person that is not sketchy is my guest. You know him well, if you have been on the podcast and listening to my content for a while here, but it is my man, Britt Sanders. Britt, tell the people how you doing.
1: first of all i appreciate you being the first person in history not to call me somewhat sketchy i think that's a tremendous resume builder and a notch in my belt for being a grown-ass adult even though i sit in my third story apartment with my windows open and my skivvies but we're here to talk shit about the nfc west which includes my seahawks and honestly nothing makes me happier than smashing other seahawks dreams and hopes for
0: this team on this year i am excited (laughs) Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, Don't worry. Uh, The people will have to stick all the way till the end of the episode, unfortunately, to hear you talk about your favorite team, which you know the most about. So guess what, people? That means you're either fast forwarding quite a bit, which I'm not going to timestamp the recording, or you're going to have to listen to it all. But we're going to go in order, as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, for those of you following along, based off Mm -hmm. of the 2021 standings. So that brings us basically... The first team up to bat, the Los Angeles Rams, finished last year at 12 and 5. They are our defending Super Bowl champions, and they, really to no shock to anyone that's been paying attention to how they've handled their draft capital over the last about half a decade, have basically no picks to do anything with because they won the Super Bowl and they did what all dynasty managers hope that they can do when they are shipping off picks as a contender. Um, you look at them, they're still rocking with Sean McVay as the head coach and OC. I don't care who the name of OC is. Sorry, Kevin O'Connell. Um, but McVeigh is the only one calling plays in this Rams offense. Uh, they brought in their, not their depth quarterback, their franchise quarterback in Matthew Stafford last offseason. And if you ever wanted to see what he could do in an offense that actually mattered, we kind of found that out last year. Um, the one position of note that is a little bit interesting most likely for most is the wide receiver position but where they lost some weapons in the offseason in obj and sony michelle in the run game they gained in what many argue is pretty much a one-for-one one replacement when it comes to production in a guy like alan robinson who had his first down year of his career over the last basically half a decade since his acl injury Last year, and that was just kind of on my abysmal bears dealing with a head coach that he really didn't like. Um, so you look at it, and they only drafted one skill position player of note in LA, and it was Mr. Kyron Williams, uh, Mr. Slow Runner. Uh, you want to call him, oh, God, what was that guy's name? Uh, the real slow running back. His father used to be a fighter. You remember? You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, uh, Evander. Ho- no, it's uh, Elijah Holyfield. Yes, there you go. Yeah, Holy there you field go. Elijah Holyfield. Uh, yeah, basically, yeah, wow, Elijah slow. Holyfield 2.0 is basically what we're rocking with right here. Um, and mm-hmm. he comes into a backfield though that has some opportunity. Um. What's your take on Kyron? Where are you at with him for the Rams? And just kind of where are you at with them as a team in general, since there's not a lot of rookie content to really talk about with the Los Angeles Rams. All fantastic questions.
1: Um, So I liked, I was mediocre on Kyron. Right before he ran on the combine, I came to the realization that if I was touting a rookie because he's a good pass blocker and ranking him as such, that's really bad process. So I knocked him down, like running back six or seven before the combine. And then he basically... Got like the reverse Chris Olave action and ran like as fast fast as Rich Eisenwood in cleats and not dress shoes, uh, which is not good, by the way, folks. But, I mean, he got drafted the Rams. He got drafted, which is nice. And he's always going to be, always has been, always will be a 2023 play because Terrell Henderson is going to be a free agent next year. I don't think he's done enough to really wow the Rams to bring him back, even on a low-money deal. And so I don't really care that Kyron Williams has broken his foot and is probably going to miss most of this season because he was never going to be consistent this season. Um, so, you know, I think that he is a really fun, very late round stash. And whatever startup you're doing, just don't take him in redrafts. I, I, what I really want to talk about, though, completely is just Alan Robinson. I think people are finally coming around to the fact that he is, in fact, a good football player and is, in fact, going to do great on the Rams. And that also means that Cooper Cup is, in fact, going to do great on the Rams. So I I just I feel that people are unjustly getting their recency bias against Allen Robinson, not understanding the fact that he's going to be
0: hashtag good at football. Do you kind of feel similarly, similarly, Dallas? Yeah, so being a Bears fan, I've seen every snap of Allen Robinson's over the last couple of years, and last year was just kind of an enigma. It's the one blemish where you can't really, you kind of have to make excuses for him for what happened last year. He wasn't really injured. It was either the scheme or the quarterback fit or some kind of combination where you find yourself making an excuse for the man for the first time in his career, which I feel like is a majority of why there's a lot of kickback for him as a player and as a dynasty player in general. Um, He is getting up there in age, according to what people like to think. But in all reality, 28 is pretty much smack dab in the middle of your prime. Um, I'm never concerned until they're past 30. And if they're elite, I'm still not concerned. But the thing is, Allen Robinson has really never won with his speed. He's never been a burner. Um, He's been a guy that is extremely crisp with his route running, extremely physical at the catch point, and is able to make separation in ways similar to his new teammate in Cooper Cup. Um, I think that this is really the first time you're getting a true X wide receiver on the outside, outside of the short stint that we got with Odell with Cooper cup, which should be very fascinating. And it's a position that typically has been the target hog in a Matthew Stafford led offense. So I'm very intrigued with where he's going. I've had a lot of Robinson on my rosters of the last couple of years, both as a bias thing. And I just kind of liked him coming out. And so he he, he's kind of in that tier of guys um just mindset wise in the dynasty community similar to that of a Jarvis Landry where he's extremely valuable and you know how valuable he is to your team if you have him on the team but if he's not he's never had the name cachet never had the pop wow season of 1500 yards and 15 touchdowns except for that second year in the league to really pump him up in this dynasty community so I'm very happy with the landing spot. I'm excited. Um, really the only better spot for him to have gone would have been to like a competitor in Green Bay in the NFC North and going to the Rams on this high electric offense with a franchise quarterback and competition draw in the number one corner every week. Sign me up at this price. So that's where I'm at with Robinson personally.
1: How Robinson perished. So Cordero Patterson could flourish. That's just the way <laughs> these things go. Life is cyclical, and it, it stabs bitches, and it brings
0: bitches back to life. Yeah, yeah. Well, all I know is I missed the days of mm. the Allen bros, all right? Down in Jacksonville, you had Allen Hearns and Al Robinson both go, going for a 1,000 double-digit nice. touchdowns. That season was wild. Blake Bortles was throwing garbage-time touchdowns all over the place. Realistically, we could have gotten something like that in Chicago last year if there had been like any semblance of an offensive coordinator, but there wasn't, unfortunately – uh, but yeah, I'm very excited to see what Allen Robinson does. The only thing that would concern me, um, all, albeit it's not a season-long hindrance to him, but a playoff hindrance next year for his outlook would be if they do re-sign OBJ, you're looking at even more target competition right when it matters for your fantasy team. So he may be yeah. a guy that you look to ride during the season and then ship off mid to late next season before that actual playoff push comes in. Um, but then that's kind of what we do with all the veterans, honestly. So it's not that shocking. of a move.
1: I, I like Allen Robinson as a kind of a guy that you have in a rebuilding because most rebuilding teams, I think, end up with Allen Robinson. Mm-hmm. If you're kind of wanting to pivot off of him right around that trade deadline, let some goofball pay over price for Allen Robinson. And then you can kind of take that and ideally use that capital you get and make something sexy out of it. I, you know, the hot topic with the Rams is like, what cam Akers is going to be what is he like what are we what are our expectations and i just i feel like we aren't talking enough about the fact that the only other receiving threats down robinson and cooper cup is van jefferson who gets like 300 yard games a season and then tyler higby who the rams basically decided they don't actually want to be a receiver receiving tight end just want him to kind of run downfield and occupy zones and block i this is a Wonderful situation that Alan Robinson has found himself in, and as you said, he is a he's, he's akin to a Jarvis Landry or Brandon Cooks, right? Yeah,
0: folks don't know he's sexy until they play against him, and then they forget that he's sexy. <laughs> yeah, I mean ultimately that's where you're at. the team The team is interesting for that true third wide receiver to me. Um, If you look at their official depth chart as of right now, which isn't saying a ton, obviously, because it's this early in the off season, but on a team that really didn't add a lot to their team from a receiving standpoint this off season, they have Van Jefferson at three and Tutu Atwell at four right now. So I know... It's ugly. No one wants to talk up Tutu. But like when it comes to like the most forgotten man in fantasy, it's probably Tuto Atwell. I only have one share, and it was because I was basically like mid third last year. It's the classic like Type one Thornton effect of this year to where I was like, I'm just gonna take him. Like he was a second round guy, but like he legitimately did absolutely nothing last year. So we have no idea what they are gonna do with him. Um the Rams under McVeigh are a team that have a tendency to give their guys that give trap capital shots. So I will kind of just put that out into the ether. I'm not telling you to go out and acquire Tutu Atwell. For the love of God, don't. Um, but if you have him, don't. I'd probably just keep him on the taxi. Just just see. And then uh, the most intriguing for me actually is everyone's darling last offseason and Jacob Harris is currently their tight end four. On their official depth chart right now, behind he's tall though blocking tight ends, he is tall. Yeah, he's not very fast. And he doesn't catch the ball very well. But <laughs> I, I've been told that he was going to eat last year because tall. So yeah, he's tall. Tall. He, he ran a good forty, but it didn't really translate in separation last year when he saw the field. So uh, there, there's a lot of open uh, open targets to be had. So there's probably quite a few Van Jefferson truthers out there that are still pumping everything up, even though I just can't get behind it. I've never been able to get behind it. Um, because it's the equivalent of like projecting those MVS games. They have a pretty similar skill set at the end of the day. And so um, I'm just not huge on it, but there are targets to be had and it's not really a team that predicates itself on throwing to the running backs, Mm -hmm. uh, even with what everyone likes to assume to be a wide receiver back in Cam Akers. So it's a weird team, not a lot of rookies going on, but that's, just kind of where we're at with the Rams kind of status quo from last year and seeing if they can run it back in a similar vein to what Tampa Bay did the year prior
1: if you want a sexy tight end that's going to be free and probably would take up a space on your on your roster from this from this team I think Bryson Hopkins is a fun name to talk about I mm-hmm. believe he's going his third year as a blocking tight end I believe he's moderately athletic and I do also believe that he has some decent receiving chops. so he's a name that I always been keeping an eye on in terms of my very very deep leagues just someone i want to take a little credit to and then also just a general warning and just thing don't let cam Akers six months off an achilles injury which usually tanks a player's entire fucking career and his miserable yards per carry of 2.7 take away from the fact that he's still got a tremendous amount of carries in that offense and also i do believe it was icky azazer on the Podfathers podcast mentioned that the other Rams backfield averaged 2.9 yards per carry. So like, mm. let's just not pretend that he's absolutely dust just yet. Like, we're not out of the woods by any means, but he's not fucking toast. And that also means, Jesus Christ, quick tangent, James Robinson is fucking dead. So I want to just put that there. You lose, at bare minimum, 20% of your power coming back from an Achilles injury as a running back. James Robinson has no athleticism. To lose 20 more percent is a death knell.
0: Okay. We're yeah. back. No, 100% there. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, we had chatted a little bit on Twitter about this. as is a slight uh, AFC South tangent here about the Jags backfield. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really want anything to do with any of the running backs in the backfield outside of Travis Etienne. And I'm not even confident in Travis Etienne's receiving yeah. Can't be workload tough. this year. So it, it'll be interesting um, just to see kind of where they're at. But this is an NFC West podcast, so we must backtrack. Uh, To the number two team in the division, the very own Arizona Cardinals, um, probably the team with arguably top three in the drama category this off season with all of this Kyler stuff. Um, Also uh, just whatever I think of what happened this off season, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to an AFC West team, the Chargers social media team that that schedule release, just taking shots at everyone, uh, segwaying back to the Jaguars the the Jaguar in the bar pulling in the urban the pink polo was had me dying but the legendary Murray drama was perfectly encapsulated with a lot of unfollowing uh, refollowing, not going to be at training camp at OTAs BS um, he's apparently still the quarterback which is good um, it's just a classic immature move I hate when players do it to be honest with you I'm all for everyone get in the bag but just like go out there and just say hey I'm not gonna play and then don't play don't like delete everyone off of social media like it's your ex-girlfriend type of situation um it's a really weird trend i wish i understood it it's it's similar to similar to kind of these
1: videos on basketball games with these young what these young kids do when the camera pans on them just Mm -hmm. i don't understand or like guys wearing bass pro shops uh hats i guess i'm old
0: now because all these things just make my head hurt (laughs) that's how it goes um But, yeah, no, this is another team in the division. You'll find a pretty similar trend with a lot of these teams. Uh, Britt and I were talking about it before the show started. There's a lot of vacated targets to all of the teams outside of the 49ers, but the fact is where they lost star-studded guys, they ended up bringing in equally as talented, if not better, options or re-signing some guys that we didn't anticipate them doing. So when you're looking at the Arizona Cardinals, 166 vacated targets – that came primarily in the form of Christian Kirk and Chase Edmonds leaving in free agency, but a la introduction of the trade for Marquise Brown from Baltimore and the introduction. Most recently, a shot to our favorite man's, Keontae Ingram out of this draft class um, outlook for this season in Daryl Williams from the Chiefs as that true honestly RB two on the team who has receiving chops and is a big body spell in case of injury to James Conner. So you're looking at a team that had 120 vacated targets is one of the best red zone rushing teams when it comes from a pure volume and an efficiency standpoint because of Kyler Murray, since he joined the team and there's just a lot of mouths to feed and not a lot of, you know, new blood mixed in here. Um, the draft selections of Keontae Ingram in the sixth and Trey McBride in the second are two guys. I liked a lot before the draft. I know you did as well, but they came onto a team with no true pathway outside of injury into an immediate role with the resurgence of Zach Ertz last year in the offense. And of course, James Connor finding his hamstrings again. So it's exciting to see where the team's gonna go. But what's your take on the rookies? What's your overall feel for the Cardinals? And just let me know what's what's inside your brain.
1: You know, I it sucks because Trey McBride's was is and was fun. And then he goes to a team where you're like, cool, okay. So I got an aging tight end. This is awesome, great, like ample opportunities and then you look at the contract like oh my god the Cardinals sold their literal left leg to keep Zach Ertz around for three whole ass years not great at all I like I said with this draft class these tight ends I'm just going to pay up for if they end up being good because I don't really want to occupy that but Keonta Ingram someone I'm actively trying to acquire was still am I know they brought in Daryl Williams again which makes it more painful Mm -hmm. but I I think we can all agree the fact that James Conner is not someone that we can rely on to give us 17 games. It happened last, not not even last year, but like he was fantastic last year on the back of his receiving work and his touchdowns ups tick. But like those things are going to regress. probably the the other way. And so, you know, God forbid that Conner does get injured. Then you have, Eno Benjamin who the team had gave an opportunity to, and just shit the bed. Daryl Williams, who they just brought in, Keontae Ingram, who is a very capable running back, and then Jonathan Ward, who is a special teams guy that is like the Elijah Mitchell for this team simply because of the fact that he's going to have a roster spot because he plays in special teams, and he's a big back that actually has a little bit of wiggle to him. But I think I'm mostly excited for the fact that Marquise Brown's going to be given a true number one role and an offense is going to be passing a shit ton without DeAndre Hopkins, and that's just is really, really exciting. And also DeAndre... Hopkins kind of getting suspended for six games. Breathe a little life into Rondale Moore and his value, just because like if he's able to do something, like literally anything, that like insert gif or the stick stick figures poking something with a stick, mm-hmm. like that is going to be exceptionally exciting. And I, I, I really think that we're going to see not a whole lot of ten person. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we don't see a lot of ten personnel from the Cardinal or for Cardinals because that was the biggest issue is that every wide receiver had a target share within like 5% of
0: each other. And that's just not great for fantasy. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the the nuke suspension is the most intriguing thing for this passing game, specifically when it comes to the target splits. Um, I think last year specifically, as has been the case every single year underneath, underneath Cliff Kingsbury is the inability to correctly put, a non-Hall of Fame wide receiver in a receiving role that best fits their skill set. It's been extremely weird since Cliff has gone on there, which you would assume coming from an air raid offense, he would understand how to use receiving options, but he has been incapable of doing it. It was a misuse of Andy Isabella. Say what you will about the overall talent of the player. They weren't using him for anything other than go routes he was capable of doing a slant and being just as effective, if not more effective than the average bear, they just chose not to do it. Christian Kirk perennially should have been used as a slot wide receiver. What did they do when Andy Isabella didn't work out? They made him run go routes. And yes, he was able to catch the go routes because they have an accurate quarterback. But guess what? It's not a sustainable model. What happened last year when they forced him underneath and to actually play the slot and the outside role has the most successful season that he's had. I think the nuke suspension opens up the underneath targets. That are more than you know what negative two yards behind the line of scrimmage of what Rondell Moore was rocking last year that we've been hoping that he was going to get since he was coming in last offseason. So it's very advantageous. You have a guy that can hold down the X wide receiver position on the outside in Marquise Brown as the true one, but also you're bringing in a guy who looked very serviceable last year in his revitalization year in AJ Green. We all thought he was dead. As long as he can stay healthy. He's proved he can still be a viable wide receiver on the outside when the quarterback is an accurate passer, which is what Kyler Murray is. So as long as Kyler's there, you know, rising tides lift all boats, but, it's one of those situations where there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of vacated targets specifically across the first six weeks of the season. That'll be very interesting. I think a lot of the receiving options in this offense are going to be pretty cheap going into this off season. So it's going to be specifically in redraft one that I'm most likely targeting later on, just shotgunning back to back wide receivers on this team in hopes of getting Gangbuster production over the first couple of weeks, and then shipping off for a more consistent long-term value piece. Um, it's intriguing to see what's going to happen.
1: It's all fair. I keep forgetting just how many old bodies were revitalized in 2021, and honestly, part of me wonders if the NFL is like, "Hey, listen, our product's kind of slipping. You guys go and like rock a little PED action, and we're just going <laughs> to let it slide." And blah, blah, like, I'm sorry, but the amount of older dudes that have been struggling that just randomly had the same recurrence the entire in the same years. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. That being said, AJ Green, I want him to do well. It's always fun. And you're not wrong. Cliff Klingsberry is the, the poster child of failing upwards. It's quite impressive to be completely honest with you. He should have a seminar. You know, every president gets a book. Cliff Kingsbury gets a book about how to fail upwards when he's no longer a coach. The biggest issue, other than the fact that Kyler Murray can't throw when he's rolling out to his left, is the fact that we just have to deal with the fact that as long as Cliff is going to be there, he's going to want to have a very diluted passing tree, and that's tough. That's very tough. The the, the other big downside for Rondale is the fact that I believe it's Peter Howard has a study where if you have a rookie that drops a round in their ADP the following year instead of goes up a round of their ADP is fairly or is very unlikely to like be successful in some sort of fantasy aspect. But again, like we all know that Rondale probably like he had to die for Wandale to live. So you just are trying to get out of that whenever you can. And there's gonna be a couple of opportunities preseason, minicamp, probably the first couple weeks where you can get out and maybe you can grab yourself a 2023 20,
0: second and be real sorts of happy. Yeah, it's it's just interesting. I just really can't get behind the small wide receiver. I I understand the Wandale hype and everything like that, but it,
1: it's just so hard. I get it. I get it's, it. It's so hard. I, like for me, our like, sample size is small and recently it hurts.
0: It hurts a yeah, lot. Yeah. Like I I would almost rather not spend up even this year on Wandell and just get Pimpleton as a freaking free player after the drafts. Just throw him on my roster and hope that there's like a, a rationale for that because that, that's a team I haven't talked about yet on. Uh, this series for first year forecasting but the giants wide receiver outlook is like i don't know if you're an epl guy at all when it comes to soccer but it is the equivalent of chelsea chelsea has five guys that they signed to max deals in nba terminology that all play the exact same position in the exact same style and they're just like i don't know figure it out well, that's not very sustainable in the NFL <laughs> to do things that way. And it's not very sustainable for Chelsea either. So it's, it, it's just interesting to see how this is going to play out for Ronda or well, um in the long run. But when it comes to Arizona and the rookies, there's not a lot to talk about other than the guys that we kind of mentioned. So we can segue to a team that has two guys I'm actually pretty interested in. I listened to your episode, um, I can't remember who was on. It's from uh, Kevin. It was Kevin. Yes. Yes. I'm talking about the, yes. It was Kevin. a Jagoff. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Woo! Uh, and it's the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you had discussed Mr. Ed Davis Price on there, but TDP is an interesting person to me just because of the exact reasoning that you both had brought up on the episode and the fact that. They just die like this. This system grinds out running backs, and it's been like this ever since Shanahan took over the OC job in Atlanta. Not not just not just what we've seen in San Francisco. This was going on with Freeman and with Coleman when he was in Atlanta as well. They were constantly injured and constantly banged up, and it's just because he requires them to run extremely fast and extremely hard. If you're going to do that, you can't be 200 pounds. You can't be 205 pounds. You can be 220 pounds which is something that Mr. TDP has going for him. And he runs a reasonable speed, but talking about this overall San Francisco 49er roster, um, this is yet again, another NFC West team where they are probably the most identical to what they had last year. Um, They missed Roheem Mostert who is now gone in free agency all of last season, but they did not rely on him at all last season. They actually only have five vacated rushing attempts on the entire team based off of free agency and people leaving and zero of those were red zone attempts. When it comes to vacated targets, they only have 49 vacated targets as a team. And it was a bunch of nobodies, basically Richie James for the small amount of work that he got last year is basically those targets. And so you're looking at a team where they brought in Ray, Ma- Ray McLeod and honestly a guy I'm interested in in tight end premium Tyler Croft. He's a guy I feel like I'm always interested in every offseason because he just keeps bouncing around Filling in as the tight end two on a team, giving you multiple playable games in a tight end premium format and then getting shipped off again. But in a once again, a system that gets their big bodied guys who take a lot of contact injured like the San Francisco 49ers with George Kittle. I'm kind of interested in that old guy. But there's three guys of note that I put down in the draft class just to chat about with you to see where we're at now that Trey Lance is for all intensive purposes, the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And that is Brock Purdy, his feasible backup on the team when they ship off Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Mr. TDP. And then Danny Gray, a guy I was very high on before the draft. I had just a whole episode basically devoted to him earlier in this offseason out of SMU. And it's a pick that outside of Tyquan Thornton, I think, surprised people the most outside of maybe Eric Ezuconma with Miami. Um, you're looking at those three names as guys where for the casual dynasty player, the casual redraft player, they have no idea who these people are. Um, But Danny Gray is a player. And I, I classify him as the new slant king, because if you think Michael Thomas can be dangerous on the inside with a slant route, Danny Gray is probably the most likely player to catch a ball with about three yards of space and take it all the way to the house out of any player of this draft class. So I'm just intrigued as to what your take is on these three guys that I've brought up on this pretty interesting San Francisco offense with an all likely probably a little bit of a different system with a new type of quarterback in there. First and foremost, there is
1: no reason to be excited about Danny Gray. I'm sorry. There's literally no reason to be excited about Danny Gray. I will refuse to grab any of his stock. And I just think that he was one of those guys that they're going to throw the dart and see if they can get a little magic. That being said, he is a very good yak king. And I'm sure he's going to be very capable in the special teams department, which I think is actually what was the basis for that pick. But Also, Brock Purdy is not going to be the backup. He is a camp body. If Brock Purdy (laughs) is going to be the backup for the San Francisco 49ers as their quarterback, too, I may just have to take a shoey out of a beer, a shoey, because that truly makes literally no sense because he was god awful. But now that we've shit on the parade a little bit, let's talk about fun stuff. Terry Davis Price, the only running back to complete a full set of games for Kyle Shahan was Frank Gore. And what did Frank Gore have that all these other running backs really didn't? He had the size. And what is Terry Davis Price? He has the size. He also has a 1,000-yard game, or not a game, a season, which was super fun. Really, all we're looking for with the Ford Niners is a value, having the necessary size of at least 215, and having a speed score over 100. Sorry, Trey Sermon. Uh, it, we, it is going to be interesting to see what happens when Trey Lance eventually takes over the reins, how this rushing attack is going to change, because we did see Trey Sermon actually do well with Trey Lance. I believe he had like upwards of 70, 80 yards in that one single game, and then he just kind of got demoted forever. So clearly wasn't that good of a thing. I, I The only thing that I'm slightly concerned about, and there's a lot with this, is just. I think people are too over their skis on Elijah Mitchell. I don't think that Elijah Mitchell is going to be offering enough. It's just we've been burnt time and time again drafting the running back one of last season for San Francisco, expecting it to happen again. Yet we continue doing it. It is the biggest set of cognitive dissonance I've seen in quite a while regarding the San Francisco's backfield. So if you want Elijah Mitchell, great. Like, that's exciting. Draft him in redraft. But get rid of him on your dynasty teams because it's just going to end up biting you in the ass sooner than later. And he's still relatively holding water in terms of, like, his value. I think his underdog ADP is probably, like, this 50s or 60s. So you can, you can do something with that if you're able to work it just a little bit. Um, but, I mean, those other carries from Debo Samuel are going to have to come somewhere because if he does stick with the 49ers, which he he probably will, uh, then he's most certainly not going to be utilized exactly the same way that he was. So I think what we're likely to see is we're going to get Elijah Mitchell and TDP or Jeff Wilson or Hasty or Sermon. One of those other four come in and probably do their best, like 55-45 tango. And then, you know, they can both shit or you can they both split and shit the the three percent or the three targets a game and see what they can do with it. So I mean this backfield is only exciting for fantasy because you get these players at such a value that if
0: you hit, you hit Elijah Mitchell and that is a true jackpot. Yeah. Yeah the, I mean I'm just waiting this is a prime situation. Like we we have talked about this between me and you and I've heard you talk about it on your podcast. A lot of people aren't talking about it enough. A lot of these guys that got drafted at the running back position this year are just going to be immediately replaced next year with the running back class that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, I uh, the guy that I think that made the biggest mistake going back in college football that is going to hurt his stock because of who he's going to have to compete with next year is Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Oh my uh, god! When I look at a guy that I think could have fit this Shanahan system perfectly, uh, albeit if you're looking for a more athletic, basically version of TDP was Zach Charbonnet. Um, and I could just perfectly see him coming out and being a mid round pick next year to the San Francisco 49ers, taking this job without even blinking. And then we never talk about Elijah Mitchell or TDP or trace Sermon ever again. Um, there's just, there's a lot of guys there's a lot of guys out there that you can find to run the wide zone that are just very explosive and larger. It's just you aren't going to be talking about them during the draft process. They're going to come in, they're going to fill the role, and you're going to have to kind of shoot your shot with them where you can. Um, I don't know. It, it, we've been talking about Shanahan again since Shanahan's dad was doing it. We've been talking about um the, the same thing with Belichick there's just teams really you shouldn't heavily invest in and overpay for at the running back position and you see why year in year out every single time this is just one of those teams and I'm not investing in him at all um at cost I mean I I've, I've been trying to acquire Brandon Ayuk since what was happening last year with Brandon Ayuk when he was in the doghouse and I'm just sitting there I'm just like Oh uh, come on, please! And now it's getting to that time of year where everyone's like, "Oh no, Brandon Ayukite, Brandon kite And now I can't buy him anywhere. He's like the only guy at price I probably would have purchased or attempted to purchase this last year from the team. Um, and it's just because I mean he's the only one outside of Debo that consistently is going to get you like seven targets every single week. Because yep. even Kendall doesn't get it because of his blocking chops and just the way that this team has kind of been leaning the last two years with his injuries. So.
1: Yeah. Also, I think we're just or just forgetting the fact that George Kittle is proven to be extremely fragile, given the violent, how violent he is at his position. Like, yeah. I am not confident in having any shares of George Kittle, not because he's not an excellent talent, just because I don't think he can. He is the modern day Ronk. His body is literally deteriorating before us. Yeah. It's just not his shoulders like Ronk's was. It's gonna be his. Actually, it kind of is his shoulders to be honest. God, that makes me so sad. But I do want to say one last thing about the running back position for the yeah. San Francisco 49ers. You don't hold the fucking back when you have a running back that hits the gold. You nope. let it ride for a couple of weeks and then you get the hell out of Dodge. And you're like, yeah, this guy's gonna be the one. All right, give me something that's gonna give me one for a lot for longer and later. Um, and I also don't think any what running back's gonna survive the to- or any running back from 2019 is gonna survive the 2023 draft. And probably only like two or three running backs will survive from twenty twenty. It's going to be
0: a massacre. I'm very excited. I the the one that I selfishly am very curious as to what happens is David Montgomery. Literally thought the same thing. Uh, I he's the only one that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to command a massive pay grade and he's significantly better than people want to give him credit for. I just can't stress. This is again, another tangent with my bears. I'm sure my fans and listeners of the podcast are just being like, shut up Dallas, but like people that have watched him year in, year out since his rookie season, like his rookie season, he looked slow. He looked like he could not compete in the NFL at this speed. Last year he worked with the footwork King and he worked on his agility as all the reports were saying just the classic trope over and over and over in the off season. He came out at the beginning of last year before he got injured, looking like he was shot out of a fucking cannon. He, he was so fast last year and just, I mean, classic trope. Don't do your fantasy analysis based off of what I'm telling you to go out and do, but just go and look at David Montgomery, 2021 highlights and tell me he doesn't look like he is an extremely fast running back. It's just, True. it was night and day. So when he got hurt, it was crazy. But also he's a guy where Chicago, yes, it was a weird thing going on last year. But the second he came back, people were still hyping up Khalil Herbert saying that he was going to get the touches. And guess what? David Montgomery said, nah, fam, I got this. And all the reports say that Ibra has already named him a captain. So he is already basically on the team, a leader, in the locker room, which isn't saying a lot because there's not a lot to go on in the team. Uh, Bayless Jones Jr., the 25-year-old, you can you, basically you know be there all their parents. This slander of off-brand LaVisca Chenault will not stand <laughs> in this Chicago Bears household. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's just interesting. I, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of running backs that are just going to get massacred. There's a lot of very talented backs next year. Um, but. Yes plot twist we're not going to be able to peg half of them anyways because that's how this game works so Big everyone backs. just buckle up and get, get ready for the ride is what i have to basically say but looking at the team not a lot to go on um i mean i'm a little interested in juan jennings just due to the fact that he was yeah. the most consistent wide receiver with trey lance when he was in there last year just because mm-hmm. they were the only two working together but that probably changes mm-hmm. um the team's just interesting but it's one of those very volatile teams i typically stay away from in fantasy Yep. Um, a team that is pretty consistent with the receiving options on the team compared to what they had last year, but everything else is up in shambles is your very own Seattle Seahawks, 7-10 <laughs> and ten from last year. Uh, now they have Shane Waldron, You informed me as the OC. Uh, I did not do my correct uh, programming notes before this episode, people, but you're looking at a team where the quarterback is currently geno smith ahead of drew lock according to camp reports which like is that bad i'd probably say no personally are we surprised no we're (laughs) not surprised yeah all all i know is that everything and every single atom of every nfl fan's body was screaming to pete carroll saying something has to change something has to change pete said all right yeah let's change he kicked away his franchise quarterback the best quarterback in franchise history. And then what did he do? He's like, I'm thinking I'm going to draft a running back in the second round. We're going to run it a lot. And we're going to, you know, just try and work it how it was last year. Uh, You look at him now, there's only 86 vacated targets. They lost the likes of Russell Willison, a solid backup in Alex Collins when he's healthy, and Gerald Everett. That was a massive overpay from last offseason. And they brought in the likes of a burner and Marquise Goodwin on the outside to just fill that prototypical david moore role that they've been trying to fill for the last like five years and then also looking at mr noah fant who comes in as the first receiving trade note that they've had really since jimmy graham in the red zone um there's been a lot of injuries um everyone's always been hopeful for a guy like um will disley to stay healthy but that guy has the worst injury luck i've ever seen because they are just like horrific injuries that are like flukes constantly and have no connection whatsoever to each other, but he just keeps going down with them, which is just terrible. Um, I mean, you look at him right now, they brought in Kenneth Walker in the second to in all reality be the lead back. And uh, from all the reports I'm hearing, it sounds like he basically already is. And then they brought in two complete flyers, the wide receiver position deep For that wide receiver, I guess three, potentially four and five role, and Bo Milton and Derek Young, (laughs) something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're looking at a team where they had a lot of vacated targets, um, uh, not targets, a lot of vacated carries at the running back position alone, just with Alex Fawns going out. Um, So you're looking at a team where. There's a lot of tread on the tires for a guy like Kenneth Walker, who really didn't have a lot of carries prior to last year at Michigan state and a lot of intrigue on that early guy. But other than that, it's just kind of what's going on. So uh, where are you at with your team? Tell everyone where you're at, what you're thinking with your rookies. If you want them to bring in anyone else that's still available, just give me a deep dive.
1: I am practicing my deep breathing skills because (laughs) the Seattle Seahawks, do their fucking best to ruin my life expectancy. And they do a really good goddamn job of it. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. They do a really good job of it. So I have a lot of gripes with this offense and you very poignantly hit on the biggest one, which is the fact that we all understand that Pete Carroll's antiquated system is not going to yield success in any spectrum. And we even got the tongue in cheek, which we got last year, which is we hear you were changing. We're taking a deep look inside of ourselves all the bullshit these guys say, and then he goes out and goes, hey, listen, Russ, we're going to do the exact same thing. He goes, okay, cool, you do you, but I'm not doing that because I want to be great, or at least try to be. So what is Pete Carroll doing? He's basically putting his entire legacy on this fucking season by taking Kenneth Walker in the second and by doubling the fuck down on everything. It is going to be by far one of the worst seasons we've watched in the last 10, 12 years on the Seattle Seahawks. We will be blessed if we win more than five games. Yes, I know I'm using we. If you're that weird dude that like doesn't like calling your team a wee team, go fuck yourself, but also it's your choice. So do you. My biggest issues is this. Kenneth Walker is going to be getting a tremendous opportunity on the ground. There is still the possibility that Rashad Penny does Rashad Penny things when he stops injuring his hamstrings, which I don't know if we'll ever see that. But if, for God forbid, Penny gets a full-ass season of health, and I do think it's a likely to see a 50-50 split between Walker and Penny. And we're not going to see that many checkoffs and check downs towards them. Granted, it's going to be Geno Smith or Derek or something, not Derek, or Drew uh, Locke, who are going to be ch- are going to be throwing it instead of running it. But Geno was actually rather serviceable in his four or five games he played for us when Russ had his finger issue. I think there is some value to be gleaned from this. First and foremost, Boat Melton is a very, very fun prospect to stash on your taxi. He is an athletic. God, that's probably a little oversell, but he's a really great, He's has a really, really great frame. He's got a really, really good athleticism and his biggest issue is the fact that he was on Rutgers and that was literally everyone's issue on Rutgers. It's that team and the we were, we're wide open. I, I don't think D. Eskridge is going to be an actual player in like professional football for that very long. And Freddie Swaim is just the dude from Hawaii that somehow sticks around and like is very serviceable when called upon. I think that's the one guy that's more likely to be a wide receiver three moving forward. Then you have DK Metcalf who's 100% not playing for the Seattle Seahawks this year. Like if there's one weird take, I have to bet it's that this DK Metcalf will not play a snap for the Seahawks. And then you got 30 old Lockett, And that is literally it. So Bo Melton may have a pathway to some bit of success because I tell you what, He's definitely more talented than S Gridge and Swim, mostly because he's not a fifth year fucking senior. Tariq Young, I thought Maybe, please, are you a punt returner, kick returner specialist? No, he's got like four returns on his entire collegiate resume. He's been in school for five years, so I don't care about you. I am really in love with Milifanta. I really am. I just, I, I am in love. I understand, well, Disley, they, they gave him a really nice contract, yada, yada, yada. Will Disley also manages to find a way to get a really, really nasty, serious injury every single year, every about 15, 16 months. We're coming up. Dear God, Big Montana, don't do that to me. But Noah Fant is an athletic tight end. We, There's something wrong in Denver. We don't know what it is with Noah Fant in that system. But if there's anybody that is going to utilize explosive plays, it's Pete Carroll, and if there's anybody that's going to deliver on that, it's going to be Noah Fant. And he is literally free. You can find him on your waivers. You can give him for fourth and fifth, even probably like a late third if you think it. Not often do I suggest stashing tight ends, but I think given this ex- very unique circumstance, I do think that he's valuable. Overall, this team is going to be an absolute clusterfuck. It, your likelihood of getting high scoring players and fantasy on teams that are losing more, like who aren't going to win more than six games, you're just you're, you're limiting your players upside your drafting. So that means this year you can't expect a lot out of DK Metcalf, and that is the only player you should be drafting. I I don't think you can draft DK Metcalf. I think the only person you can draft is Kenneth Walker in like the sixth round in your redraft leagues. Uh Just because at least then you can sell yourself a story at that point that the upside outweighs the, the cost risk that him and Penny are just sharing. So Pete Carroll gets fired midway through. Maybe we see something fun and sexy happen. I will definitely go streaking through my apartment complex if Pete Carroll does get fired, though, because it'll be the one answer I've asked for for the last two years. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, it's going to be really weird being a Seahawks
0: fan and uh, not winning often. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I'm kind of sad about it. Yeah, I I mean, you guys are entering a realm that is usually reserved for, uh, you know. Tom fuckery. Yeah, yeah, just franchises that haven't had a long-standing, long-tenured head coach. Um, I feel like you're headed there quick. Um, there was whispers of it last off-season that a lot of people tried to ignore, um, but it all kind of came crashing down with Russell Wilson's thumb. Um, I, the DK news, yeah, uh, that's that's not like really a hot takey. It kind of feels like it's there. My my question: the wh- if you had to peg a team. That would, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that every team in the <laughs> NFL wouldn't attempt to acquire Deacon McCaffey. He, he was actually available. But after the draft, looking at what we have team wise, I mean, I constantly keep coming back with the Chicago Bears, but they're not going to do it. So it's one of those things where it's like, I just, I can't fathom them doing it when I'm looking at the team that could still need another wide receiver. That could ultimately set themselves up all the way down the road. I kind of lean like in Atlanta, um, pair him up with two massive guys there. They don't have anyone on the books that really is costing them any money at all on the offensive side of the ball with the Calvin Ridley thing. Um, that's where I would probably lean as a good trade partner. But do you, can you I think said of Atlanta? That you like? Yes,
1: bro. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. But listen, Arthur Smith just wants fucking the triple.
1: Like not twin towers, but triplets, triplet towers, because old boy just wants big guys that he knows the quarterbacks aren't accurate. So he says, fuck it. We'll just yeah. get a guys with big contest, big contest and catch guys and catch radiuses and say, do something. Um, I think there are a couple of hot teams that are, I mean, the Packers are always chalky and really easy to talk about, as are the Panthers. I think the Panthers could actually be a really strong play for the in play for DK just because they have no one and maybe if you pair two elite wide receivers with a really shitty quarterback then that shitty quarterback becomes almost like not awfully shitty i'm just looking at cap space too because it's a really good question but looking at like the 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 highest cap space teams the raider or the panthers are ones that i think are really interesting because you're gonna have to pay dk a ridiculous sum i think the packers are probably the most likely though, to be honest um just because i they're gonna look at what they're have and their camp and they're going to say oh my god why did we draft christian watson and pick 40 or th- 34 or whatever mm-hmm. it was and then like well we're just going to call john schneider and say hey listen john um we'll save you a board on, we'll save you a board on our, our franchise with this city if you give us dk Metcalf for like some dirty lent and some leftover spaghetti and john's like i always wanted to come back to green bay thank you this is what i've been holding dk for <laughs> um we're gonna move him it's gonna be for a a sum that is going to hurt your in your innards and just make you wonder why do we have a franchise in the first place and then 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 i hope that paul allen's sister realizes how much the colossal fuckery is going on here and just acts
0: as the entire system and starts over again yeah i mean that makes sense that that's the thing that's always like wild to me is that like some of the teams with the most cap space just never spend it like i was sitting there like the bears have over 20, I think $5 million in cap space right now. They didn't spend it on anyone. They're projected at over $142 million for next year in cap space. And the only player that they have to retain from like a contract standpoint is Roquan Smith, who will not cost them $142 million. And so I'm just like, what's happening <laughs> no one knows are you scared happening. you should
1: be scared because every time this happens they pull a jacksonville jaguars and spend like 66 million dollars on a guy that plays 33 percent of the snaps And you're like, yeah it's the third, third string
0: uh, linebacker and one of the six tight ends that they bring in every year it's just the trope that never stops and it's terrible but yeah i mean seattle's an interesting one i think there's a lot of opportunity and it's a team that's going to look basically nothing like what it looks like right now at the beginning of next year. And all reality, I mean, the person I understand due to the contract, why they haven't moved him, but I would have been doing everything in my power to move Lockett for even half of the contract. And I love him. I went to K state, K state alum. Like Mm -hmm. I, he's a guy that I just, has, it's a mind meld. It's a mind meld situation. We saw it. It was the same equivalent of Rogers and Devontae. There's just certain things that are not going to be reciprocated with a different quarterback type up to where I would have done everything in my power to include Lockett in that trade to Denver in an attempt to keep the connection together, keep something going and get it off the books if you guys could have. Because DK is going to be a hard pill to swallow, uh, shipping him off this off season or even this season before the deadline. If you guys are keeping nothing but Lockett on your team as your receiving option,
1: I, it, you know, every time I think that it makes sense for the Seattle Seacocks to do something reasonable, they don't do it, which means that they're going to trade away DK and then just make rocket rocket the slant boy. Um, <laughs> And then we're just going to see what happens when you have a senile old coach try to establish the run. And it's going to be awful. And you're going to love it for your opposing defenses. Actually, the Seahawks defense may actually be a really, really good just a random DST play. Um, yeah. Just for your redraft of random
0: nuggets, if you guys are still listening to this rant from me, anger, angry, angry <laughs> rant. Hey, man, it's why, it's why I'm bringing everyone on to talk about their favorite mm. teams, all right? You guys have the passion, you got the insight, you got the bias, and the uh, the clear, calm mind to talk about the issues from a perspective that is not judgy from the outside, but just visceral from the inside the team, inside the hurt, or inside the joy. So that's why I had you on. It is pain. But- is. Are there uh, are there any UDFAs from the division you are at all piqued by? The only one that kind of caught my mind is the same type of situation uh, that we talked about in Arizona, just with what was going on. But that was prior to bringing in Daryl Williams, that was Ronnie Rivers out of Fresno State. He's a guy that went out of Arizona that I actually kind of liked, um, just from a you know a tool standpoint that probably could have made the roster, but in all reality is no longer making the roster. Um, I mean, it's it's just hard not to beat out you know Benjamin to me and there's probably going to be a couple running backs that don't do it again. So, uh, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, this has been another fun one. Um, just, you know, classic hour. It seems to be our general, uh, our general scheme here on these. Classic episodes. baby. But I mean, tell everyone, Britt. tell them where you can find you. If you guys don't know where yeah. you can find at this point, you obviously haven't been listening, but, uh, plug what you got going, uh, tell the people everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to put it like this. I am probably eventually one of these days going to get a link tree just because I think it's very efficient and, wonderful but until i find the time and what i mean is make the time you can find me on twitter at the ff sandman you can come in you can talk shit you can talk football whatever you want just come in say what's up uh if you dm me i'm definitely going to get back to you quicker than if you don't dm me uh just because i feel a lot less anxiety scrolling through 12 messages instead of the God awful amount of the messages that I get sometimes because everyone likes to shit on me. It's quite enjoyable. You can find me talk about rookies in a much more, no, actually it's a much similar manner. So I'm rookie on the rise, preferred podcasting platform. You can hear Dallas's wonderful voice every once in a while. Uh, it, uh, my biggest goal is just to a make analytics less scary and B make dynasty owners less shitty by drafting so they don't, or they stop drafting crappy rookies. That's all I really want in this world with fantasy football. That being said, uh, I also do a lot of Debbie stuff. You can find me on the Debbie deep dive podcast channel. Now it's predictive measures of success. I talk about analytics in college football. You can find my Debbie writings on fantasy pros. You can find them on uh, breakout finder. And then you can find me basically venting about any given player on yards per I think my most recent one was in February where I talked about Elijah Mitchell and why you should not be holding the bag on him. But as always, I I really appreciate Dallas for having me on. This is always very fun. I think this is our third one this year, which is a record for us. And we'll probably do one more because we have to run back what we did last year about our, our long shots of the year for the rookies. Um, But this is a pleasure as always to come a shit on the Seattle Seahawks and be praise. Literally no one in this division because it is a bunch of scummy people. Uh, and
0: it makes me just so upset that I have to watch good teams be good when my team doesn't be good. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure having you on here. Uh, you, you started talking about Debbie. We're just going to end the episode on a on a brighter note, a fun thing. Hopefully I'm going to name uh, at least one person that I want your opinion on that you actually enjoy. Um, first one, I just want your quick two cents on. Uh, Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina. Uh, I don't – I'm not doing quarterbacks anymore. I just refuse. I'm not doing it. I will
1: have opinions after the draft because it's not worth it.
0: Go CJ uh, very intriguing from an analytical standpoint for me uh, over the last two years, 53 total touchdowns, passing to three interceptions numbers you really Gross. never see not to mention the dude can scoot for being uh, for lack of better phrasing, a white boy. So uh, it's, it's pretty fun watching him play. And this is a year where he's actually going to have a pretty decent weapon Uh, you know, weapon pool around him. So there should be a true national spotlight guy for him. Uh, A small guy that uh, falls in the same category of I don't know what to do with him because I don't like small guys. uh, Zay Flowers, Boston. I was thinking of going Devon and Shane. Um, Zay Flowers. I mean, like, I'm glad he came back because
1: that injury with Jerkovic really set him back. You know, I think that the NFL is transitioning to being more acceptable to smaller wide receivers, and so I think that there is a pathway for him. Uh, I, he's going to be one of those guys when you're talking about the second round of rookie drafts, and I think that's probably where he belongs. Off the top of my head, I believe he's a pretty good slot guy. He was getting way too much love last year, but I think this year he's much more, va- much better valued uh, and someone that is definitely worth a like fourth or fifth round Deffy stash at this like what the hell right Like you're not hitting nine times out of ten you can like get lucky with a wandale robinson but i think he's well worth well worth the uh the necessary value cost at that point
0: yeah no couldn't agree more um and then plug your favorite non-top two running back in next year's class
1: so, I like this because non top two is a wonderful. He said top three. I've been pissed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when it comes to running backs, like the, it's a very fun class, but I think the one player that is going to be continually sneaking up everyone's boards, especially after we get past the combine next year, is me, Sean Tucker, out of Syracuse. Uh-huh. He's basically done every analytical step thus far for his first two years to be a very, very highly touted running back. He has a size. He's a track athlete. He had a fan-fucking-tastic year at Syracuse last year. I want to see 1,500 rushing yards. A really, really diverse receiving skill set. He has a target share. He has the efficiency numbers. He has the backfield dominator. Like, assuming that he does not get injured, then he <laughs> is basically locked in as a day-two pick, in my opinion, a top-seven di- uh, rookie pick in your Superflex that I, I'm head over heels of the dude. I absolutely love him. Uh, it's going to be interesting. what happens with Syracuse because that team's a dumpster fire, but he is the one
0: golden spot in that just God awful program. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree with that one. I think the guy I'm most interested in at the running back position, specifically just to see what he can actually do now that he doesn't have a lot of competition is probably Jameer Gibbs. Um, mm-hmm. He's a, you know, a darling that everyone's kind of been hoping to have that, gangbuster season for a while. Um I've got him at 2 though, so I can't yeah. I, you know I I,
1: I wouldn't say Gibbs because he's going to fly up the fucking ranks in Alabama. Yeah. Uh and just really quickly if anyone's worried about Gibbs being the fact that he's maybe a touch under 200 right now like a year in Alabama's weight room, I'm just going to throw out a really dumb number. I'm going to guess he's going to weigh in at like 208 and be absolutely okay. Like Alabama does their players right with weight training. He's going to be okay. Don't fret over his size 14 months out of his actual wane in the combine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, guess, I guess I just have one more question. Who do you like more between – these are two guys that are going to have very different profiles and I already know who you're going to say just based off the age of one of the guys. But Zach Evans transferred from TCU going down to Mississippi. <sighs> Uh, it's it's a guy that it's hard not to love what you see from like a physicality standpoint but he hasn't put it all together and Muhammad Ibrahim a guy that if he had not gotten hurt early last season was on track to destroy the big Ten uh, see muhammad
1: ibrahim didn't he he fucked up his Achilles didn't he <sighs>
0: Think it was I, lower leg. I didn't
1: remember if it I was Achilles. You like it's an Achilles. If it's an Achilles, and I don't give a shit that he is one hundred percent out. I'll go fuck off. I, God damn it, stupid ad blocker. Um, so I'm just gonna preface it with this. As like, well, yeah, of... it wasn't. It wasn't
0: Achilles. He's dead.
1: All right. So he's dead. And <laughs> he's dead. but like, in a hypothetical world, then yeah. he one hundred percent was super exciting. Yeah. He just unfortunately is a he is he is an NDA. Uh, do not resuscitate, or that's not an NDA. He's a DNR, do not resuscitate right now, unfortunately. Um, but one small school, school guy that I do actually am coming around on quite quickly is Lou Nichols out of Central Michigan. Uh, the dude had a fan-fucking-tastic season. He led all of college football in re- in rushing yards uh, last year. If he can even like have a small regression and do similar, I think the fact that he's, and he, and he declares for 2023, I think he's going to get, Like either Damian Pierce draft capital or like a very random Tyrion Davis Price, random, like low key shot. And he's just someone I'm I'm going, I'm taking in my Debbie drafts way later because you can. And like the upside is just immense. And he's got size and he's got speed and he's productive. And I just,
0: okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to dive down into it.
1: I don't ask for much. I just ask for you to basically be great at every single metric and then I can like you. It's really, yeah, that cool makes sense. Threshold. Is
0: there a, 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 I, I tag these people as uh, I'm ready to get hurt again in the classic uh, Michael Scott vein. Uh, I'm ready for <laughs> next year. Shale- uh, Khalil Shakir in the form of Jalen Cropper out of Fresno state uh, for me. Yes. Uh, is there anyone yes. that you're just ready to hurt you for the draft capital just to just kind of destroy your, you know, view yeah. of them. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, oh, man, I, I I, mean, I guess Rakeem Jarrett out of Maryland is one Parker Washington as well, just because like that, they should go day two, but like neither of them have done so much that like they aren't guaranteed to go day two yet. Like if they have another mediocre year, mostly Rakeem Jarrett, not, not Parker Washington, then I think like he's someone that we all thought was DJ Moore reincarnated. And then he just shits the bed. And well, that doesn't shit the bed. But he just doesn't really do anything beyond the basic bitch amount of production. You want to stay excited. So if like, he continues up that, that trend of underperforming and like goes, I just, I feel like I'm gonna get hurt again. I don't know. I don't, I don't really do go too deep into 2023 wide receivers just yet because I only have five rounds in my Debbie drafts. And at that point, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the rookie on the rise to go and talk trash or praise those guys and then have my, my hopes ruined after I bring you one. And we can be all excited about the draft capital that won't ever happen, but we really, really want to happen. Ah, I love it. It's what we do the game for, right? It is (laughs) to be hurt. That's
0: truly all I want is to get hurt again. And that's why I participate in these sports. All right, Brent. Well, this has been a good episode for all of you listening. Thanks for sticking around. Hopefully you stuck uh, past that you know, suedo, uh, false exit that I basically forced Britt to do. Um, <laughs> we are going to go ahead and head out for today. This has been the rookie rundown on the DWZ network. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Sally, Blore. you can find Brit on Twitter at the FF Sandman or underscore. What, what is it? Tell me again. The FF Sandman. The FF right? Sandman. Yeah, I just yeah, messed I think that's up. That's right, man. I don't <laughs> fucking know my, can find me talking shit. You'll see me. I'm hard to miss. <laughs> I'm retweeting everything. You guys will find it. Don't worry about it. But until next week, have a good week, guys.
1: When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing.
0: We won a game yesterday. and If we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.